Ryan Irvine joins me on the line right now, Keystocks Financial. Uh, very excited to have Ryan back with us. It's a, a great time, especially as we lead into the World Outlook Conference. Uh, Ryan, let me just start with uh, a quick question on getting your market overview right now. What's sort of the big picture that you're looking at as you analyze individual situations? Uh, thanks for having me on again. And uh, I would say one word that comes to mind when I'm thinking about the markets right now, particularly the small cap or growth market that we look at, is, is jittery. Um, we started with a, a bang this year. Um, by April, the TSX was up around 6%. But year, now year-to-date, the Canadian markets, the TSX is down 7.5%. And if you look at the TSX venture, it's down another 20% this year. And I kind of sympathize with the jittery feel in the market. You, you can look at a collapse in energy prices, the gloom in the commodity sector. And you look recently at some market darlings like uh, Valiant Pharmaceuticals. I mean, this company was one of Canada's largest pub- public companies. It was the largest at one point this year, larger than TD or even Royal Bank, and it's now lost around 65% of its value in a couple of months. And, and when you see a blue chip like this, which is highly touted by the uh, general investing arena, uh, drops so dramatically you can understand why the average investor gets the jitters. Yeah, especially the violence of these drops. I mean, if you get into the wrong group, and we could talk about looking at the performance of the gold shares, for example, looking at the performance of the 3D printing group, uh, some biotechs. I mean, the list is a long one because you run afoul of the market. And, you know, you run out of favor, and you're so punished for it. Violent, violent moves you're seeing. Like, like I said, in, in Valiant, even even with the largest of companies, and you, you see that right down the line, uh, right down the food chain to the small cap sector, uh, and some companies, you get some opportunities, though, uh, when you see a Valiant sell off and the biotech sector sells off in general, uh, or the uh, healthcare. Likely, pro- at the end of this year, we'll look at some value, value being created in that sector where we didn't see that value at this time last year. But I agree with the, the violence of the moves that you're seeing, and that contributes to the jittery overall feel of the market. But really, I mean, we had, into the first quarter this year, we had a 30-month rally on the TSX, and and, and the entire, the broader index got expensive. Uh, You've seen a pullback, and there is getting to be some value, but right now we'd say the markets are neither undervalued nor, nor overvalued. They're really trading at about the historical average PE multiple. And, um, but with the pullback, you are starting to see some opportunities. And this is kind of where we see individual investors get things wrong. They are attracted to markets kind of at the wrong times. The average investor is more likely to pay attention, is more comfortable making buys when the market has been moving higher for extended periods, or in other words, when stocks are expensive, say, three months into this year. On the other side of the coin, the, the inv- average investor feels angst and less, is less engaged and less likely to make a buy decision when the market is declining, as we saw, say, in 2012 mid-year, 2013 mid-year, and to a lesser degree, what we're seeing now. Um, it, it, um, sorry, I'll let you go. No, I just want to ask you then, okay, so we look at a down group, and I, I'm going to pick one here, and I'm, I'm, I don't, want, don't let me put words in your mouth. I'm just getting an il- illustration. Uh, energy stocks, for example, have been kicked. Yes. I mean, you must be getting people saying, is it now time to buy, or how, how do you sort through all that? That's a great question, and we, we, it's one of the biggest questions we get right now. We get constant calls and emails to our office uh, talking about, is now the time to reenter energy stocks? Well, the thing is, we got the same calls last year at this time 
Uh, it's largely due to the fact that there's such a high weighting in this sector uh, in Canada, and you've seen the, the precipitous drop. But um, we told people that last year it wasn't the time. We're starting to see some value there, but we're still very lightly exposed to this segment in general. Um, if we were to enter it uh, this year, it would likely occur in December when we see some beaten down oil and gas related stocks uh, face some tax loss selling, and you could see some companies go well below asset value and uh, you know cash value on the balance sheet, and that's what we would look at. But um, really, the real tonic for the sector is going to be higher energy prices. At present, we do not believe production has curtailed enough on the supply side or that demand has increased enough to prop up prices again. So if you're buying anything right now and you're buying it in tax loss season, um, and we'll be looking for opportunities there, but be prepared to hold for at least two years because it may take this long for all that uh, to really shake out. And, and again, back to, I, I love what you said earlier, is they could ask you the same question last year, the year before, that kind of stuff. That's just a great reminder that you need, you, you know, you need to see, in my opinion at least, you need to see some strength in the sector, uh, turning the charts up, and then, as you say, much, uh, much stronger fundamentals. And I agree with you, they're not there yet in that sector. They're not there, in my opinion, in any of the commodity sectors at this point. I agree. So it's something that I'm worried about. You know, I don't mind waiting. Well, I don't mind waiting for one good quarter of earnings to come out before buying, and you see the stock actually yeah. turn up. Uh, and 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 we, I think we need that right now before we really go in and a wholehearted way into the sector. Well, the other thing, just very quickly, is you know people make this mistake all the time, and I'm saying this from personal experience, is that we keep confusing that we're investors with short-term traders. Now, if you're a short-term trader, you're going to be bottom-picking, looking for small movements on the chart. But if you're really an investor, and this is, as I say, a mistake I've made, uh, then, no, you're looking at broader things. So you can wait for that first quarter, that upturn, that change in, as you say, in the production dynamics, which create uh, price dynamic changes in oil, for example. Uh, that's what an investor should do. But too much, as I say, too often we're saying, I wonder if I can get the bottom. That's just not the way to be a good investor. Hey, let me ask you about one sort of general group that I think is really interesting. Is on this show, as you well know, Ryan, we've been predicting the fall in the Canadian dollar, I think, right from above par. We're about 75 cents now. Now, this is just me saying, I think we're going lower. And uh, we'll see how much far lower, but I think 70 is my next target. Then you're into 63, then you're into 55, that kind of stuff. But what about this? What about companies that actually benefit from that weak Canadian? They're, a Cana you know, they're, they're sort of in Canada, but they benefit from that weak Canadian side and a strong U.S. dollar. It's an excellent group that we've been focusing on. Uh, companies that potentially have costs in Canadian dollars and do their selling in U.S. dollars. I'm going to talk about a company later uh, today, just th that does exactly that and is benefiting greatly. But um, there's a number of companies in our portfolio that we monitor almost to a to a, a, a man. All of these companies have done well over the course of the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Uh, the company we recommended last time we were on Boyd uh, Income Fund. Uh, BYD.UN. It's done tremendously well uh, lately and over the last six, seven years because about 80% of their business is in the U.S. and they sell in U.S. dollars, fixing cars down in the U.S. And it's a great. Uh, the currency translation alone uh, has boosted earnings by about 40% this year, and we continue to see that strength going forward. And if the dollar keeps going lower for a company like that, it continues to uh, to benefit the bottom line.
Yeah, I think it's a great kind of concept investment. And, and just also, I'll say this, uh, Boyd Auto Group, you've recommended on our show for a number of years, that is what we really call a home run hit. And your subscribers, uh, anybody who did that, uh, it's it was more than a winner. It was a, it was a grand slam home run. Ryan Irvine, my guest, uh, Keystone Financial, but you find them at www.keystocks.com. Now, Ryan is the guy who's been in charge of our small cap portfolio at the World Outlook Conference. And it uh, doesn't matter that the TSX is down. He still managed to have a really nice gain in there for everyone there, uh, a couple of 50 percenters this year. Uh, you know, so the overall portfolio is done very nicely. I'm going to talk to Ryan about specific stocks, maybe get a couple of recommendations that you can put if you're looking for aggressive kind of small cap growth that you can put on your radar screen with Ryan Irvine right back on the Chorus Radio Network. I want you to hear my shocking stat of the week. I think it's a very important issue. Plus, I've got a good goofy award for you. Joining me on the line right now, I've got Ryan Irvine, keystocks.com. Uh, Ryan, as uh, many of you would know, has been at the World Outlook Conference. He's the one who comes up with all the research that we put together, our small cap portfolio for the World Outlook Conference. Last year, by the way, and again this year, we have a VIP uh, special report getting produced. Uh, right now, it's a one-time bonus. You can just go to moneytalks.net, sign up for the World Outlook Conference, uh, do it now, and you will get a copy of that immediately upon completion of it. Uh, last year, Ryan, as I say, uh, you know, it's been such a choppy year in the markets. The overall uh, market has been down when you look at the Toronto Stock Exchange Index. Tons of volatility, but you still managed to have that uh, portfolio rise. Yeah, well, um, we, we put a ton of research, and we're going through the same process right now. Uh, it takes us about two or three months uh, to go through. We go through every company on the TSX and the TSX Venture. Uh, it's about 2,700 companies, uh, and we look for, and what we included in the portfolio last year were some cash-rich, very profitable companies, so you're supported by a good cash balance, limited debt to no debt, and, and all profitable companies. And, you know, we think that's a profile if you're growing. Uh, these are more aggressive companies, but if they're growing and have that cash balance and stability there, uh, you have the potential to uh, have some returns over the long term. And we're, what we're really looking for is, I mean, we have a year or you know nine months with these companies in our portfolio. A lot of these companies we expect to earn, all hold for two to four years. So really, we'll be judged on what these companies do over the next two to yeah. four years. Well, it was interesting. Uh, we just had Travis Dowell of uh, who runs the Maxim Capital uh, portfolio. He was president there also, and one of the stocks that uh, he likes very much is one that you told us about at the World Outlook Conference, uh, Sandvine Corporation. And he was just saying that uh, Maxim likes it very much. And uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Same kind of scenario, which uh, you know that heavy cash component. Like if you liquidated the stock, you get about half the value back in cash and that was what wasn't the only one that you followed in that way yeah it's uh, half its ca value in cash right there so it's great and it's a profitable company uh, yeah I heard the segment I was encouraged to see that it actually it's about flat for us on the year but I think it offers good value here uh, the if you want to get into the a couple other companies that we recommended and update them right now yes please go ahead okay. yeah the first company we talk about is SBL group it symbols ESP on the TSX. Uh, again, this is a cash-rich, very profitable company. Trades around two dollars and forty-three cents. Um, it it is uh, like one of our themes at the Outlook this year was the sea changes in the way we are choosing to consume media. 
in the media delivery world, over-the-top providers or content providers such as Netflix have completely altered a landscape that was stagnant for decades in a, in a matter of a couple years. Incumbent table, uh, cable sorry, and telco companies uh, are really running scared right now. They have the content, but their delivery systems are largely out of date. They're slow and antiquated and nothing close to what today's consumers uh, demand in terms of user experience and choice. And they see their subscribers are er- eroding. We saw that with TELUS and we saw that with Rogers in their latest quarterly numbers. They're pressed to implement new user-friendly experiences, and this is one of the major reasons we recommend SPL. The company provides these cable and telco companies with software that essentially powers that set-top box that you have on top of your TV, the ones that traditional TV providers such as TELUS or Rogers provide to you. And it creates a fast and user-friendly browser environment for live and on-demand applications. It gives you kind of that Netflix-type experience. Um, Now, their software is in the early adoption phase but it already has three large cable customers, and it was very profitable last quarter. At present, there is some uncertainty regarding SPL with a a client they have in North America, a cable provider, and there's some confusion regarding a contract they have with this company. They may lose that contract over the next 12 to 24 months. They will be very profitable with that contract over that period, but this is not their largest client. Their largest client is actually in Europe, and even if they lose this client completely, uh, we believe there's good value in the stock right now. Uh, so uh, is that an example of where that sort of bad news actually creates a stock buying opportunity because the, uh, the, the stock magnifies yeah. the degree to which it should take that seriously, if you agreed, know what I mean? Agreed, agreed. And the market, like I said, the markets are jittery overall. Any negativity has been taken to an extreme right now. And uh, we did not expect the stock to be had for, for these levels. It was recently trading at around $4, and you can buy it in the 245 range right now. Uh, that leaves the company with about 55% of its market cap or the value of the company in cash. It's $1.30 per share with no debt. Uh, we estimate earnings are going to be around $0.15 cents next year. Now, the consensus out there is higher, but we like to be conservative. That gives it a PE or price to the earnings With if we remove that cash balance there of about 75 uh, You know, peers, software companies like this trade at about 20 to 30 times earnings, so you're buying it at a discount. And this company has seven consecutive quarters of revenue growth. Um, it's aggressive in terms of risk, and we have a spec buy rating on the company, for the, and it's for those with above average tolerance for risk. But we see it as a good fit as one of those, say, 10 to 12 stocks in the growth area of your portfolio over the next two to three years, because they really have a window with these cable and telco providers where they really need to, to change their focus and their, their viewing environment, and SPL is on the leading edge of that. Well, we've only got a couple minutes left, so I gotta I gotta press you, and I know you've got a whole subscriber base there, but maybe get one new recommendation from you. Yeah, for sure. You can put uh, on our radar. First, this is a company that's definitely benefiting from the strength in the U.S. dollar. It's called Firan Technology Corp. FTG on the TSX. It's trading around two dollars and ten cents right now. Um, they're a global supplier of aerospace and defense and electronics products. Um, basically, two areas of the business, uh, FTG Aerospace, which supplies cockpit instrument panels, and FTG Circuits, which is high-end printed circuit boards. For 72% of the company's operations or costs are in Canada, but the company sells primarily in U.S. dollars, so it's having a huge benefit from that. And it, we expect that benefit as its rolling hedges come off to really kick up 
uh, in about a quarter's time. The company in its last quarter grew revenues at around 23% to $18.2 million. Uh, earnings per share really got a kicker in the last quarter. Uh, they were $1.6 million or $0.09 cents per share, up from $0.01 cent in the same period last year. That's about 600% increase. This company over the last 12 quarters has earned around $0.21, cents, so it's trading right now at 210 That's exactly 10 times earnings. A good cash flow producer right now. Um, if you take out some of the one-time uh, one-time costs, uh, unexpected costs, there, we think the company's really trading at around seven and a half times earnings. It will continue to benefit from a, a lower Canadian dollar, and if you think the dollar is going lower, it's a good, solid little company to add to your portfolio. Again, as one of those uh, one in your ten to twelve growth stock portfolio. And and the symbol once again is F T is in Tony, G is in George. That's right. F T G fear and uh, technologies. Well, I know that you're going to be working away on putting together our own World Outlook Conference small cap portfolio, and we're going to get uh, Aaron Dunn also to contribute at least one stock to that. We're not going to let him freeload on that one. But, Ryan, we really look forward to it and appreciate so much your good work over the years. Excellent. I can't wait to see everybody at the Outlook again this year, and uh, we'll have some great picks there again for you guys. Yeah, good stuff. Ryan Irvine, of course, you can find him at keystocks.com, keystocks.com. It's Keystone Financial, and uh, we put up a special Money Talks order if you want to just get the full array. Uh, great research done there at Keystocks, uh, Key, Keystone Financial, but at keystocks.com. Hey, coming up again, I'll just remind you, by the way, and am I not, the, you know, it's lucky I get great guests because I am brutal these days at broadcasting, but I get the great guests. That's why you got to listen. People like Ryan Irvine, uh, John Johnston last week, uh, so many good people coming up uh, also, and I hope you're with us for all of that. But hey, just a reminder, go to moneytalks.net. You can click on the event button there and get your early bird ticket for the World Outlook Conference January 29th and 30th. Uh, the Western Bay Shore in Vancouver, but there's nothing like it. Nothing's even close to it. And I'll tell you, beginning of this year, I said it was the age of consequences. Boy, is that ever coming home in spades. We explain how that works on your personal finances and what you can do about it. Take a break. Come back. I have got a shocking stat for you. Coming up, we've got Ozzy Jurek, and you know we're going to answer the question, what's the single biggest variable that's been pushing those record prices if you're out in the Vancouver area? Well, as I say, we've got the answer to that coming up. I've got Victor Dare live from the trading desk. I have a goofy award for you, and I'm going to finish on a serious note. I hope you stay with me for that. But it's time now for this week's shocking stat of the week. As you know by now, President Barack Obama yesterday provided a wonderful example of the progressive left's love affair with symbolism, with the rejection of the proposed Keystone Pipeline. In the States, I think it's somewhere around 875 miles worth of pipeline, the American portion of it. Bill McGibbon, is the, uh, head of the environmental group 350.org, said the decision gives Obama, in quotes, new stature as an environmental leader. The rest of the anti-pipeline crowd is going to be over the mood. Maybe you're one of them. But that joy has nothing to do with reality. There will be no talk of a massive increase in oil transport by rail or other transportation modes. The oil is going to get transported. And all have more CO2 emissions compared to the transport by pipeline. All carry, while small, but there's still greater safety risks than a pipeline, especially a brand new built one. And they'll certainly ignore my shocking stat of the week. I mean, it's all such a farce. 
between 2010 and the beginning of this year, 12,000 miles of pipeline were built in the U.S. Did you hear that? 12,000 miles. You never heard a peep about them. All you heard about was Keystone. 12,000 miles. Crude oil pipeline mileage rose 9.1% uh, in 2014 alone. Of course, Keystone now is completely on hold, if not finished. But the demand for petroleum products continues unabated. And it's, it's just fascinating to see how we have ignored this huge infrastructure build-out when it comes to pipeline. But you're not going to hear any about that. So I think for many people, hearing that 12,000 miles of pipeline have been built since 2014 is going to be a shocking stat. Hey, one more quick note. I'm not sure if you saw this one. This is bad news for the climate change crowd. This week, China announced that they're burning up to 17% more coal a year than they had previously disclosed. That's a billion tons more carbon dioxide, significantly more than the entire Canadian economy, more than... Uh, more than the entire German economy, and how many more times than the oil sands. That's that just rounding area or era happening in China. It tells you where the changes need to be made. I'll take a break. I'm going to come back. I've got Aussie Jurek. We're going to tell you the single biggest variable pushing single detached home prices in Vancouver, clear up all the misconceptions about it. Also, Goofy Award, Victor Dare, stay with us. One of the principles of economic that I follow is that all you have to do is follow the money. It's the old Sam Spade from the Maltese Falcon. Follow the money and you're going to see where the action is. Well, of course, that's still the case when you're talking about real estate, too. You want to follow how the money went one way, uh, went in a particular area. Well, that's the basis of what I'm talking to Ozzy Jurek about right now, looking at those incredible prices in Vancouver where you've got average single detached homes on the west, uh, in West Vancouver, for example, of $2.77 million. Uh, you know, that's kind of the norm nowadays. Well, we've been looking for data on trying to figure out what's going on. So I asked Ozzy to look into it this week. Uh, so I, let's start with, you know, to me, it just looks like money is coming in from other parts of the world, particularly China, and buying up real estate as a, as a safe haven. Yeah, there's no question, Mike, but I just want to make it clear. I am pro-immigration. I am an immigrant. I'm married to an Asian gal. My son, Mark, is a realtor with Remax. He's married to a wonderful Chinese girl. So I like Chinese immigration and investment. And generally, they're family-oriented or education-oriented. And the money they bring is spent in a 100 places, not just real estate, but to argue, like some do, that real estate, that that investment doesn't have a great impact in our real estate markets. I mean, the CMHC says it's less than 5%. Others say it's less than three percent. That argument just doesn't hold water, and we have. Well, I think that's one of the. Sorry, I was going to say, Ozzy, this one of the advantages, though, is you're out there on the ground. You know a zillion realtors, you know, and you're getting that story that way because one of the things is it's hard to get proper statistics. Exactly, and and until now, I mean, just because somebody has a Chinese name could very well be that is. You know, his fourth generation Vancouver, right? Yeah. You know, so, so, but the province just reported that a researcher by the name of Andy Yan undertook a BC land title study, which found that in a six month period, about 70% of all detached homes sold on Vancouver's west side were purchased by mainland China buyers. So there it was. Now, you also have McDonald Realty, which is a very fine local west side real estate company, said so that mainland China cash accounted for 70% of the company's sales of homes worth more than 3 million. 
And guess what? Royal LePage also said that there's a pattern of offshore investment now in Richmond, Burnaby, and Surrey. So it's a reality. Well, I mean, it's obviously creating uh, this uh, the upper end. I don't know what the number, your cutoff number would be, $2 million, $3 million. It's, it's creating, you know, quite a buying frenzy. I, I, just anecdotally, I know five different families who are selling into this strength uh, because, of course, the best tax shelter in this country is your own private personal residence because uh, capital gains aren't taxable. Yeah, now, now that, of course, is also a huge question that that, that study uh, tried to address. And there might have been private objectives with that study. But it's clear that when you take a look at 36% of the buyers said they were housewives or students with hardly any income or 32% homes sold for more than 4 million, 94% of owners were ethnic Chinese. And five out of eight homes owned by students were bought with cash at an average value of 3.2 million. There might be some discussion down the road somewhere else where somebody says, well, are these really shouldn't they be getting capital gain when it's sold? But those numbers that you quoted, 3.3 million on the west side or 2.8 million in West Vancouver, last year, there were almost 600,000 less. So that very effect of the people coming in and bidding these places higher have made that 3 million home today uh, up, up a million dollars from just two years ago. Average prices are up by 25%, enormous in yeah. one year. One of the things you've been saying at the World Outlook Conference and on our on our show for ages is that you've got to remember, though, because it's such a hot topic in different, you know, in Toronto also, Vancouver, you know, uh, Calgary before the oil took the bloom off the rose there. But there's two markets operating here. This is not the entry-level affordable housing subject that you hear so much about. I mean, that to me has been fueled by in-migration and record low interest rates. Yeah, what we're talking about is at the upper end of the market principally. As I say, not really impacting. That's not the variables involved when you're talking about entry-level affordability. Absolutely. And I've argued since 2011 that we have two markets, one, the very rich, and everybody else, right? And it isn't, of course, just Chinese money. We have Middle Eastern money. We discussed many times, you and I, over the last couple of years, that it's Iranian money, it's Ukrainian money, it's Russian money. There's a lot of different people looking at Canada now and saying, look, it's safe, has the safest banks in the world, has a relatively strong economy, plus I get a 25% discount on my money when I buy there as opposed to the United States. And all of those factors together attract more and more cash, making it harder for the locals, of course, to buy uh, and I just want to re-emphasize time. This is a big subject. We'll get a chance to revisit. But, uh, you know, one of the variables that you don't hear mentioned, you hear, oh, there's Asian buying. Oh, you hear there's, uh, you know, record low rates, as I just did. No. But it's also this, uh, the part you just alluded to, and I'm glad you did, Ozzy. We've got to remember, this is one of the byproducts of having a currency that's collapsed. We're not just cheaper in terms of the U.S. We're cheaper actually still for Europeans, but we're cheaper for the Chinese because their currency is pegged to the U.S. dollar. Even though they've de um, devalued it slightly over the last four months, we're still on sale. And so you have to include that weak loony as part of it because it's putting our assets on sale. Yeah, no question. And if you're right, and boy, have you ever been right for the last two years that the dollar keeps on going down, that is going to be increasing the attraction. But the, the funny thing now is that even our own government, of course, is studying this. And they studied actually in B the B.C. government what would happen if that faucet of foreign money stopped flowing. And they just made this assumption that assuming that foreign investors make up 5% of home sale activity in the greater Vancouver, and if that reduction, that it would be reduced by 80%, that would have these implications. 
1 billion real estate sales lost, 350 million in nominal GDP would be lost, 3,800 total jobs lost, housing starts would fall, and roughly $60 billion in home equity would be lost, about 85,000 per homeowner in, in Vancouver. So the BC government scenario is based on merely reducing foreign investment from 5% to 3%. So you can imagine what the true effect would be when people like myself argue that that number is much higher than 5%. I, I, we don't have time to go further, but make no mistake about it, everyone listening. You're listening from that area, that Vancouver, Greater Vancouver. That area is not suffering the same kind of economic malaise, either as Toronto, because of money coming into the area. Uh, Ozzy, you got a time for maybe one hot property for us? Yeah, we have, a, you know, as, as, as unhappy as, uh, as happy as Vancouverites are, as unhappy are Edmontonians because it's slowing down so much. But that brings great opportunity. Here's a 20-sweeter in Edmonton for the price of a wartime bungalow on the west side. For a price of 2.1 million, 20 units, uh, two bachelor, nine two-beds, three there are three beds, and it's right beside a new light rail traffic stop. In fact, on Monday night at our investment club, we will be debating whether, whether or not Edmonton or Calgary or Alberta is starting to be the hot, next hot thing to buy. Remember, you make the most money on the day you buy, and you make it mostly in a down market rather than an up market. That's another way of saying to be continued. Ozzy Jurek, uh, for details of any hot property, uh, just to see if they're, you know, it's your job to go check it out. Ozzy just saying, hey, this looks interesting. Uh, go to Jurek.com, J-U-R-O-C-K.com. Check out the hot property button. Have a great weekend, Ozzy. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got Victor Dare and a Goofy. Victor Dare joins me live from the trading desk. Victor, I'm just saying, you know, this environment right now, it still feels very choppy to me. And I'm just wondering, I, I want to just throw out a couple of uh, investments here and just get your take on them. And I wanted to start with gold. Well, the gold market, like uh, currencies and commodities, kind of had a bear market rally, particularly, let's say, from the end of September until mid-October. And the thing that was driving that, a couple of things, but the, the thinking in the market was that the Fed was not going to raise interest rates this year. That got a lot of people trying to pick the bottom of gold. We were at that point at a five-year low. And as the gold price rallied up toward the, the mid-October high, it rallied about $115 altogether. The buying by these folks trying to pick the bottom really intensified. And then, of course, since mid-October, gold's gone down the other way, giving back almost all those gains. And the people that were buying on the way up, some of them have had to sell on the way down. So that's intensified the swing. So we've seen this swing in gold. We've seen it in currencies. And it's all related to how the market has had these shifting expectations as to whether or not the Fed's going to raise interest rates this year. And, of course, it bangs the other big one, which is what the U.S. dollar is doing. Absolutely. The U.S. dollar is the other side of that. You go back to the, uh, uh, let's say, that the very middle of uh, October, and the thought was, gee, you know, the Fed is going to not be able to raise interest rates. Markets have been thinking, gee, maybe they were, so you had to have this repositioning, and you had the U.S. dollar at the lowest level it had been in, in months. And since then, we've had a sharp rally in the U.S. dollar, which, of course, is just the other side of the trade. U.S. dollar goes up, the other currencies go down, commodities go down. And, <laughs> you know, in some respects, it's as simple as that. Obviously, it's way more complicated. But that's been the emotional swing in the market, all related to whether or not the Fed's going to raise rates after the employment number we got yesterday. It's like the market knows 
yeah, we're going to raise rates come December. But then the thinking is, but then the Fed's going to just go real cautious because they don't want to wreck everything, and you know they won't be raising interest rates as we go into the first part of next year. That's what the market thinks. And I think yeah, the market... Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, you've been so good about saying, you know, we just always got to come back to what is this market reacting to? What is it trading? And it is the Federal Reserve. My goodness, it's so manipulative out there. That's what makes it tough for individuals, and that's why you got to follow the market in that. Uh, it's just, it is incredible to the degree that the Federal Reserve holds all the cards, and that's one of the reasons I'm scared. Well, you know, throughout time, there's always something that is the, the most important thing in the market. And for the last few years, it's certainly been central banks and the relative divergence between different central bank <clears throat> policies. For instance, Mike, right now, the, the interest rate on German government two-year paper is about a negative one-third of 1%. One the United States, same year, two-year paper, you get nine-tenths of 1%. In other words, the yield premium, for U.S. dollar government two-year investments is one and a quarter percent more than it is in Germany. Something like that has a huge impact on currency flows. It causes the euro to go down and the U.S. dollar to go up. Yeah, you got to know the currencies to know what the heck's going on. But you're there to help us with that, Victor. Thanks so much. Have a terrific weekend. Hey, Mike, good to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Time for this week's Goofy Award. Remember that Money Talks, my thanks to Victor, as I said, uh, and my thanks to Ozzy Jurek, my thanks also to Ryan Irvine, um, Travis Dowell, and Michael Levy. Money Talks, a reminder, is brought to you by Solera Club, which is a royalty-based investment, meaning you get paid first. And uh, also, uh, no fees attached to this thing. It's in the, fe uh, the tech sector, and they look through a variety of tech things with their experts. Uh, just go to soleraclub.com for more information. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. I can't resist this one. This has got to be like a game of you can't top this. Is referring to the U.S. Department of Defense. Remember I told you this a, a, a little bit ago in September, I think it was. It was reported they spent $41 million to train and arm. They said it was going to be 5,000 Syrian fighters. Then they got the real number. It was five. That's right. You're not mishearing that. $41 million. Okay, they may have topped that this week because they just released a report into investigation into spending at the Department of Defense and found they were building a compressed natural gas station in Afghanistan. Top, top number would be about five hundred grand for that anywhere. Five hundred grand for a compressed natural gas station. You know how much they spent? $42.7 million. And no one's even sure, by the way, if it's operational or not right now. Uh, come on. This is a beauty. Let's just give more money to government. They're doing so well with it. That's my goofy award. Let me finish today on a serious note, though. As you well know, Wednesday's Remembrance Day, where we honor the men and the women who sacrificed so much for our freedom. Lots of lip service to that. But really, if freedom does mean something to you personally, then you have to take a stand against these powerful groups and individuals who have launched a full frontal assault on free speech when it comes to all of the politically correct agendas of the progressive left. I don't mind a difference of opinion. What I, do, what I do mind strongly is the kind of restriction of free speech about it. You've heard the litany of examples, and they continue to grow where groups have successfully shut down any kind of alternative view presented on university campuses, for example. You might recall that Condoleezza Rice was not allowed to speak, Arian Hersey Alley, uh, George Will, 
and Coulter. The list was really a long one. It's not an isolated thing. You know, try being pro-life at a university campus. Lots of examples where they were shut down if it's a pro-life club. The list is a long one. And there's a massive and organized effort to prevent questions on the global warming agenda. That's also what's up for grabs right now. And it's, it's the total, total uh, global warming agenda. It, it's incredible. With, you know, elected politicians looking to actually blacklist anyone who's doing research that doesn't adhere to the total agenda. I mean, this is a profound insult to our veterans. And, and that move is just too much to take when we come to celebrate them on Remembrance Day, that assault to freedom for all of us. I'll tell you, it's a privilege to be able to bring that to your attention. And it's due to the fact that we had these men and women sacrifice so much to bring us our freedom. And by the way, I'm certainly not going to be dissuaded from pointing stuff like this out because I get some email hate mail. I mean, my gosh, this is the time to think about the veterans, what they face, bullets, bombs, horrid conditions, all to protect us, but protect one of the premier freedoms, which is freedom of speech. As I say, I'll be saluting big time our veterans on November 11th. Hey, just a reminder before I go, moneytalks.net. Hey, you can click on, you can get the daily business comment there. I challenge you to do it. Don't be afraid of alternative thoughts. I get interviewed every week. I've got a good one up this week. Linda Steele interviewing me. Plus, you can review every aspect of this program, every single aspect. Go to moneytalks.net, get your World Outlook ticket, get the free bonuses from Ryan Irvine, all of that available on moneytalks.net. Thanks for listening.